Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Hello, this is Keith Williams with the Skill Stadium podcast. Another episode today, and today you are going to learn about the welding profession and you're going to learn about a certain trade school in Georgia and what they are doing to ensure that their students get the necessary skills in less than a year to get the most most important thing is to get a job, good paying jobs as a welder. My guest today is the founder of Georgia Trade School. He currently serves on the Gulf States Shipboard Consortium Board. He also serves on the Georgia Non-Public Post-Secondary Education Commission. He also serves as the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association Education Council. He grew up in Mobile, Alabama, moved to Atlanta when his parents were transferred to the city due to work. He attended the Providence Christian Academy High School in Lillibern, Georgia, that's a suburb of Atlanta, and attended Oglethorpe University. He started his career in corporate America for an international staffing company and was fired from two corporate jobs before starting Georgia Trade School. Georgia Trade School is has won five consecutive Cobb County Chamber Top 25 Small Businesses of the Year. That's a big deal, folks. And during his free time, he enjoys spending time with his daughter, playing tennis, watching sports, and attending live music. He's a single dad. Please welcome Ryan Blythe. Ryan, how are you this morning? I'm great, Keith. Thank you for having us. It's an honor to be on your podcast. And I want to also thank you for having our recruiting director, Sydney Hensley, on your podcast a few months ago. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, Sydney did a great job, and I'm sure you will too. Um, I love the work that you guys are doing. Ryan, one of the things I wanted to just start off on is that, you know, you're a single dad, so you're busy. Yeah, and I'm a son and I have a daughter. So the first thing that kind of jumps through my head as I look at all these boards that you're involved in, and I know that being a parent is important to you because we know that we get one shot to raise our kid. How do you balance it all? Yes, I'm uh, working a lot at three in the morning. I get it. I have uh, pretty much dedicated my afternoons to my daughter since she got to the point of, you know, going to school. So kindergarten age, she's now in second grade. So the last three years, um, I try to be available from, you know, like three to seven in the afternoons uh, for her, for after school activities. And, you know, the work will get done. It, it may not get done on a, a traditional nine to five schedule, but it will get done. No, I hear you. I hear you. And, and like I said, and, and I know you get it, you, you know, you have one opportunity to raise your daughter, you know, you can fix whatever work you have to do can get fixed. So you'll, you'll fix that. <laughs> yeah. My, my father was uh, an engineer with General Electric and in the eighties, you know, those guys traveled like constantly. Yes. So, you know, while I'm certainly uh, grateful for everything he did to put food on the table and, and get six threads, six kids through college, uh, you know, he was going like 200 days a year yes. in, in those peak years when I was my daughter's age. So I'm trying to be home more. That's something that's real important to me. No, I understand. It, you know, at the end of the day, it taps, it taps into values. And, you know, I think your dad also grew up in a generation where you didn't have the ability to work from home. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the pandemic has really gotten families pretty close or yes, or maybe pushed them away. <laughs> Depend- yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here on the podcast, but I I actually started working from home before the pandemic. Oh, okay. 
when I, about three years ago, when I dropped having a uh, daily operational role with Georgia Trade School, I built a home office. And uh, that was one of the best best decisions I ever made. Yes. Yes. No, that's smart. I mean, it's you you reprioritize. And I imagine just your daughter being in the second grade, you were at that point, you were probably realizing, OK, I want to be around. So, you know, you made adjustments, which is. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I can still go up to Georgia Trade School, which is uh, in Ackworth, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta for, for the listeners who may not be aware. But, you know, we have some of the worst traffic in the country. Oh, yes. So uh, I live in Smyrna and have my home office here, much closer to the city, much closer to the airport. It's just a convenience factor. Yep. Uh, I'm very familiar. And for folks who are not too familiar with Atlanta, going from Smyrna up 75 at certain times is can be brutal. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's not the 405 in L.A., but it's close. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Ryan, tell me, why did, you know, of all the professions, you, why did you choose welding to open up a welding school? What, what, what drew you to that? So you mentioned the, the two corporate jobs that I had. I wasn't very successful uh, with those. And uh, at 28, I found myself kind of directionless uh, career-wise. I uh, applied to a job that I found on Craigslist, if you can believe that. This was back in 2007. Okay. And a week later, I was hired as the manager of student affairs for a training center in Southwest Atlanta okay. called CIT. And CIT had been around since the mid-80s. And without going into a lot of detail, it was very old school. The school was a 95% of its revenue came from government grants. Okay. So you had a lot of folks that were going through the program. And of course, this is during the Great Recession. We're talking oh, yes. 2008, 2009, 10, 11. A lot of folks that were going through the program that were being told by the government, hey, you have to do this or else, you know, you're not going to get any of your social services that you've come to expect or you need in, in this you know crisis we had economically. So that led to some interesting students. We had some motivated students, but we also had some students that, you know, you'd have to chase. Yes. Find out where, where they were. Why aren't you in school? And the facility was ancient. The building was from the Nixon era. Wow. The, a lot of the equipment was uh, stuff that Lockheed Martin had generously donated. I think the desk I used could have been a prop on a World War II movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and when I arrived, not really knowing anything about the skilled trades, we had three students in the entire program. Wow. So I thought, well, you know, this job I'm, maybe will last till Christmas. Uh, <laughs> I started in uh, early December of uh, 2007. I thought, well, they'll the way we're going, you know, it's not going to be long. We got a new owner, a couple more people joined us, and sales went up 400%, wow. which is pretty remarkable. But again, it was all artificial yes. because it was government money. Yes. You're on a roller coaster. We had that stimulus in uh, 2009 when Obama became president. And then that money dried up by 2011. And then we went into kind of like an austerity period. So, But it was cool. It was a good experience for me to sit down there for four years and, and learn about this industry. And I realized from that, you know, it's that Silicon Valley culture, you know, even though the school eventually closed in November of 2011, you learn from from failure um, yes. and you see what the opportunities are. And I thought to myself, if this is done differently, if it's done right, this could be really, really successful, especially the timing. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in timing. And I think launching a school in 2012, as we were starting to come out of the recession and people were rethinking things like, you know, student loan debt, that was just that was a, a brilliant, a huge part of our success. Uh, I agree. I agree. People are becoming more self-aware of education being an investment, which it is, because the end goal is to get work. 
you know, you have to look at there's an input, there's an output. So I think you're right. And especially the recession wiped out a ton of jobs. And I, I think we're seeing it now with the pandemic that a lot of jobs are going away. Look at the hospitality and retail and people have to start finding new work. I mean, there's just there's no getting around that, you know? So um, I, I agree with you on that hundred percent. So tell me something, what do you attribute the success of Georgia trade school? Because you know, you guys have done really well. You've won a, a lot of awards. I've been by the school. So I, I mean, I know what, I mean, I think I know, but please share with us what makes that makes Georgia trade school successful. Well, I think, you know, you have to go back to kind of the, the origin of it. The decision I made, and, and some of these decisions were a little bit controversial at the time. When you look at the overall economy, we're talking 2012, when we launched the school, we were going through a lot of disruption, right? Yes with the merge of streaming services and ride sharing services. And, you know, it, it's a new, it's a new era, if you will. And there's a lot of creativity that comes out of, I think, a, a, an event like the Great Recession. I believe that our industry was terrified of attracting students that had a uh, predisposition to college. So that's why I put the school in uh, Cobb County. And Cobb County is, you know, one of the most educated and affluent counties in the United States. It's a top 100 county. This is, you know, the home of Home Depot, uh, the Atlanta Braves, Comcast, Papa John's is moving to Cobb County. They're moving their headquarters from Louisville. So it's it's a major corporate area. You're talking about large suburban high schools with big STEM programs. This is where, for the college football fans out there, this is where Nick Saban recruits a lot of his, uh, yes. his stars. Yes. This is where Justin Fields is from. Yes. So, you know, I thought to myself, why isn't our industry applying some of these same principles? You know, welding schools are in two places. They're either in very rural areas. Yes. Or they're in, you know, tough neighborhoods. And our school was in a tough neighborhood. So, you know, were we getting the 18 to 22 demographic that we need to fill a skills gap in an industry where the average participant is 56? No. We were getting folks 10 years later or more. And it's hard teaching a career changer. It's hard teaching someone who's 40 how to become a welder. Yes. It's, it's not impossible. We've had some successes. But our student population, our average student is 19. Sure. And that's by design. So location was a big part of it in the early, in the early going. Being willing to accept rejection was a big part of our success. We would go to the STEM schools, Keith, in places like East Cobb and, you know, Kennesaw, Georgia, where, again, you know, all the parents had heard for years was college prep, college prep, college prep. Yes. And once you start getting through and opening some of those doors, it's incredible uh, what can happen. And, you know, we've had a lot of business owners who sent their kids to our program. We have had a lot of executives who have sent their kids through our program. And when you talk about the referral network that comes from that, once you've had success with those students, it just opens up a whole new population for you to reach. Yeah. And the thing that I think that where I really see a value with your program is you have relationships with the companies. These students can finish your program in less than a year and make a good living wage. And I'm sorry, there are not a lot of jobs that are going to pay what your students make out the gate with just a year of training or so. It's just, right. I, I don't see it. I don't know where they, those jobs are, but there's not a lot of places where you can make that type of income 
after a short period of time. So I do see that there's a lot of value there. And, you know, I've heard just from when I talked to Sydney, there are people getting hired in job offers before they even finish the program. So that's unbelievable. Yeah, I think it's a function of, of uh, where we are right now. 10,000 boomers retire daily. Yes. And that's probably been accelerated via the pandemic. But, you know, studies going back to the mid 80s when it comes to um, post-secondary education, vocational education, the number one uh, factor in selecting a school for both the student and for the parent of a student is outcome. Yes. And I think for far too long, we've had schools, you know, obviously we can get to this later. I serve on the post-secondary education commission, which kind of regulates private uh, training schools, but we've had schools that have been real good at marketing. Yes. You know, they have a beautiful uh, bus wrap. They have a great commercial, but what happens when you finish? Yes. If you can't don't get a job, then what's the point? Oh, I agree. So when we launched our school, we had seven students in September of 2012 and the number one thing we worried about was not getting the eighth student, was getting the first seven placed. And we got 100% of that first seven, and then we were off from there. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes sense. People people pay for results. They make an investment. They they want to see results. And, you know, that there's no there's no if, ands, or but. There's no gray area. Yeah, they either get a job or they don't. So, so I, I get it. Now, as an entrepreneur, you know, most of our businesses are like our babies and you've kind of stepped back from the day-to-day activities. How, how, how is that working for you? You know, because this is something you've built. I'm sure you've taken some pride in. Has that been a bit right. of a challenge to step back? Well, it's probably the best thing I ever did. It's, it's the hardest thing I ever did. But when we moved to Ackworth in 2017, that was when I made the decision that I wanted to step into a different role. And it was actually some good advice. I got a lot of good advice over the years from other business owners. Uh, one of those is Jay Cunningham, who owns uh, Superior Plumbing here Very in Atlanta. And uh, he told me that, you know, when you want to take your company to the next level, you've got to let your employees run it and get out of the way. And, you know, I think about, I, I use a lot of sports analogies. When were the Dallas Cowboys really good? Was when Jimmy Johnson was coaching the team and Jerry Jones wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's so true. I didn't want to be Jerry Jones. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get it. You got to stay in your lane. <laughs> yes. We've got a great staff. You know, obviously we were able to hire Sydney. We have a, a president with an MBA and an MED, uh, the perfect background for running a school. Uh, we've got three certified welding inspectors. We've got a a teacher in Elaine Waters who's a former national teacher of the year. We've got some young guys that are going to be just tremendous. They're just getting started. And so, um, you know, it was time for me to uh, get out of the way. And, you know, it's interesting what happened. Our sales, they've gone up from, we went from a being a half million dollar, you know, very much a boutique welding school to today we're a $3 million operation. Wow. wow. So, you know, I what, think. What, what um, do you think attributed to that? Why? That's a big jump. What do you think? Happened? Yeah. Well, and, and part of that was organic growth. You know, obviously we moved into a larger facility, but I think the last couple of years, you've got people in in the right the right place, and you're you're letting them do their job. You know, when when you have motivated employees and a very strong dynamic culture, you know that they're doing a great job teaching these kids. 
Sydney's doing a great job placing them. Yes. And of course, you know, we've had a lot of earned media. You mentioned the awards. That that stuff never hurts. Um, but me being able to work on uh, kind of a national level, promoting the industry, promoting the school, I think that's helped a lot. And one thing, too, that has, has been interesting is, you know, our, our student population has shifted a little bit with us as we've grown. We have a lot of students from North Georgia, um, not just limited to Cobb County, but we get a lot of students from Cherokee County, a lot of students from some of the other surrounding metro counties. We also get students from other parts of the country. This year, we're closing in on uh, 1,000 graduates, and that represents 20 states. Wow. And it's not just like, you know, okay, we have one graduate from California. No, we have penetration in some of these markets, you know, markets like, you know, Chicago, uh, you know, Dallas, uh, Los Angeles. Those have been really strong markets for Did us. Did they tell you why they're coming? Like people who are coming from out of state, I'd be Well, curious. they're hearing about the school. They're hearing about the successes. I mentioned some of the earned media. Of course, you know, in this age, you can obviously maximize that with things like search engine optimization and search marketing optimization. But, uh, you know, there's some places where, believe it or not, there's not a lot of great choices when it comes to welding schools. We have more schools today than we did a decade ago. But, um, you know, I hear this from some of our students from South Florida or Southern California. They don't want to go to a two-year program, which is what their state offers. Okay. And there may not be necessarily a private training program in their area, or there's there's not one that has a great reputation. So you can come to us for less than $10,000 and three and a half to six months later, you know, be in a position to make $50,000 a year or more. Yeah, that that's that's great value. You can't beat that. Like I said, they're, they're just, retail is not going to pay that. Hospitality is not going to pay that. You know, there are young people who come out of college and they don't earn that, you know, so it definitely is a great return on on the investment, and I, I can see why people are drawn to your school. Now, it seems like you know you're on a lot of these boards. It seems like you, your mission now more is to promote the trades. Like that seems like you want to have a little bit more influence on the trades, particularly with education. How did you get involved in these boards? Well, one of the strongest employer relationships we've had over the years, it was one of the earliest ones we we uh, obtained, and our president, uh, Joanna Vincent, is, is largely responsible for it, is with Ingalls Shipbuilding. And that's what led to, of course, us uh, eventually hiring Sydney. Yes. So over the years, um, the trade manager who's now retired for Ingalls, David Cobb, he suggested that I get involved with the Shipbuilders Consortium. And about three years ago, they put me on their board. I'm the only Georgian on the board, and the Shipbuilders Consortium runs from Florida to Texas. Yes. With some of the heavyweights. I mean, you're talking about Austell and Bollinger and Ingalls. Uh, these yes. are some of the you know major defense contractors in, in, in that field. Yes. Um, and it, it also includes some non-defense contractors as well. But it was a great honor, and uh, it's been um, a huge opportunity for me to um, network and to um, learn about that industry, um, and also to um, bring more awareness to um, how important those acres are to our country, our security, and uh, our economy. Um, and I think that, you know, when you have an opportunity to build these employer relationships at a higher level, um, you know, at a C level, then that's something that you should take advantage of. Definitely. Have you been able to kind of, particularly with Cobb County, where they focus so much on the traditional college path? Have you been able to have some influence on, you know, showing these education boards that, you know, this, this, the skill trades is a viable path 
you know, because I think we do have to, I think the way we get more people into the skilled trades, I think is changing the mindset of the parents and the educators. So I'm curious if you've been able to have some influence there to to get people to understand that this is a great path for, for students. Yes. And a lot of this is a credit to Sydney. Uh, we were the Cobb County uh, CTAE Partner of the Year last year. Nice, congratulations! Uh, which is a which is a big deal. And you know, when you go into some of these construction programs in Cobb County and various high schools, uh, the walls will be covered with Georgia Trade Skill stuff. Nice, so awesome, right? Um, now, this past year, obviously, with the pandemic, has been very challenging. Sure. Uh, in terms of in-person recruiting in high schools, but we'll get back out there soon enough, and. Yes, um, those doors, uh, I mentioned it earlier, you know, a lot of them were closed when we first started. And I'll I'll give you credit to um, teachers who um, saw this, you know, as a great um, value proposition and and let us in and gave us a chance to present what we what uh, we had to offer. And I think that the success we had with graduates from, say, a Kennesaw Mountain or a Harrison, eventually the news got up to the administration level. And I think that really, you know, we still have more work to do with principals, with counselors. Um, but in terms of the teachers, particularly those who have a background in the trades or who are teaching STEM or teaching construction, there's a great deal of awareness, not just about us, but about SEFCA, about, um, you know, the opportunities we have with these uh, college and career academies, which Marietta is about to, you know, get going with the, the one at Osborne. So it's a totally different era to me from, from a decade ago. There's, there's just so much more media focus on the skills gap. Yes. Which I think has really been helpful for us. Definitely, definitely. And the fact that a lot of these older workers are retiring, you're seeing it. I, I know for a fact, you know, if I'm calling a plumber out, it takes longer for them to get a plumber out, you know. And so that should be a sure sign for people in general to understand that this is something that is, is definitely a challenge that needs to be addressed. And you think about the infrastructure, the highways that we drive on, bridges, a lot of these things that people don't realize, welders fix these things. You know, right. I, I bought some workout equipment during the uh, pandemic and uh, I was showing my son, like as I was putting it together, somebody welded that, you know, you know, even though I've got to screw it together, somebody had to weld that. <laughs> so once I think once I started really becoming an advocate for the trades, I started seeing things a lot differently. I started seeing things that, oh, wow, somebody has to weld that. Somebody has to weld that. Somebody has to weld that. All right, I get it now. I understand why why we need more welders. And people don't get it until it hits them, until it impacts them. And like I said, everybody at some point is going to need a plumber or an electrician or they're going to need a welder to fix a bridge that they have to drive on. You know, none of us are immune from that. So, and I'm and I'm deeply concerned about our labor shortage as it relates to an infrastructure bill. I think we need an infrastructure bill. Yes. And I think that it may happen in this new administration. And I think it's a bipartisan thing. But, you know, we did some research in the consortium down on the Gulf Coast, just looking at I-10. Yes. We would need so many workers for that. Tens of thousands of workers for a big national infrastructure project. Where do we get them? We take them away from the shipyards. We, we can't build ships. Yep. So, um you know, that's one thing I have a lot of concerns about is, great, let's do an infrastructure program right now. But, you know, where's the labor going to come from? I think 
I think people have, I think you're going to have to up the wages. People are, people are drawn by money, but I think if you're paying people well enough, you know, and as other job opportunities limit, because there are a lot of jobs that are going away that are True. not coming back and uh, people still need to work. So at some point, everybody's not going to college. So I think, you know, money motivates people. I mean, people could say it doesn't matter, but it does. Like, you know, we, everybody's got to have a roof over their head and food in their belly and that takes work and it takes money. So uh, if we're going to work hard, you might as well do a job where it's in demand and that pays well. So I, I think the solution is money. And that's another thing that our industry has got to do a better job of is we, we can't be afraid of talking about money. Yes. You know, I, I think that there's some hesitation. You look at the construction industry, for example, some of the construction companies have a very conservative culture. Yes. And they don't want to sound like used car sales, but sometimes it's okay to yes. say, you know, show me the money. Yes. Oh, yeah. And we, and we need to do a much better job of that. Yeah. And I, I truly believe that young people, you know, that's, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of young people. I'm sure you have. Uh, it's one of the first things out of their mouth is what do you get paid for that? Like young people are pretty candid these days. They're not afraid right, to ask right. that question. Yeah. You know, and I, I, respect I just did that. a, a fifteen hundred page blog on uh, welders pay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, and speaking of industries, we're seeing you know we're seeing a lot of retail and hospitality jobs go away. Have you seen an uptick now in students coming to your school as a result of that? Yeah. So April May we were closed like everybody else, sure. and then uh, came back in June. And since then, uh, the pent-up demand has been incredible. And as, as we talk here in early February, we're sold out wow. until the summer. Wow. All three of our class schedules. Uh, we even had a WSB come out and did a story on the amount of people that are coming to uh, trade schools since the pandemic. I believe it. I believe it. It makes sense. You know, just because your job goes away, people don't go away. You know, yeah. and whatever the government's offering, you know, in terms of, you know, relief, it, it's not going to be enough to sustain, you know, it, it, it helps, sure. But at some point, people have to start looking for, all right, where, where's my next job opportunity? So, you know, you, you, you guys offer a program in less than a year, you're working. That that's, I don't know, that's pretty compelling for someone who's been out of work in retail since, I don't know, maybe the last couple of months, maybe a year. So, uh, you know, I, I could see why people are flooding your school and coming there for. So, you know, there are a few choices that prospective students can take when it comes to doing a program. I know there are not a lot of welding schools. Tell us why your school is a great choice for students. Well, we focus like a laser on outcome, which we discussed earlier. But when you look at the employer partnerships, we have consistently for the last uh, nine years had more jobs than graduates. So while we legally can't say we guarantee you a job, the, sure. the, the uh, reality of it is you're talking about a placement rate in the high 90s. Yes. So you come to our program and you take it seriously and this is something you want to do, you have the motivation to become a welder, then the opportunities are, are um, available. And, um, you know, another thing that we have is a really magnetic culture. I'm very proud of the fact that we have graduates that come back one year, three years, five years later and are still connected to the school. Uh, maybe they'll come to the school to, uh, you know, spend some time with their instructor or to 
give a talk to the current class. We keep up with a lot of our graduates via the social media, for example, and we've uh, tried to highlight, you know, their successes. I uh, I know that the students are very interested in the first job that they're going to get out of school. And this may sound like a strange statement, but I'm not. I'm very interested in what they're doing in five years, 10 years after they've graduated, because that's when you get into mid-career and that's when you start making the real money. Yes. And I'm I'm really proud. You know, we have some some graduates who have started their own businesses. We have graduates who have maybe a college background, so understand how to price their business, how to market their business. I've got one guy who's in his late 20s in Southern California who's making, um, you know, six figures, and he's got his own company. Nice. And I mean, you know, I would have loved to have been in that position at, at his age. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and, and we've got some really, really cool opportunities because of our location, right? So you come to our program. Well, we're in Atlanta. This is Hollywood South. Oh, yeah. You want to work for Tyler Perry Studios? Yep. That's an opportunity. You want to go work on Set of Stranger Things? That's an opportunity. And I bring those two up because we have graduates that do both of those things. You know, you want to go build stadiums. Well, we've worked on everything from Mercedes-Benz to uh, Sanford Stadium to Truist to uh, Phillips Arena. We can go on and on and on. I can even talk about stadiums we've worked on out in uh, the West, like the new Raider Stadium, Allegiant in Las Vegas. So, you know, there's just tremendous opportunity. You've got the airport here. We've got people that work on... Uh, the, the sky bridges um, uh, in airports, not just here, but all over the country. So, um, you know, the the official bird in Metro Atlanta is the crane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and in manufacturing, too, you know, we don't talk a lot about manufacturing, but manufacturing has probably uh, had its strongest months recently in years. So I just I feel like, look, there's a reason why we're going to be a top five metro by 2030. People oh. are flocking here. I've spent a lot of time in L.A., I feel like Atlanta is going to be the LA of the next century. I believe. I that. really do. I believe. Yeah. I, I've seen it too. I, I, I mean, I've seen the growth. I've been here since 99. I spent maybe a couple of years in Philadelphia, moved back in 2018. And I was like, whoa, just over four years, the growth had been phenomenal. Housing is still a lot more affordable than California, New York. There are good jobs here. And there's more of an emphasis on the skilled trades here. There's, I, I think I've, because I, with the business I'm in, I mean, I do reach out to people in different states and there's a big difference here. It's noticeable. So I agree with you 100% on that. Final question. What advice would you give to someone considering becoming a welder? Maybe one lesson or something you could give. Research. Research the opportunities. You know, I, I rarely use the term welder because there's so many different jobs that you can go into whether it's the shipyards, whether it's the film and television industry, whether it's construction, fabrication, oil and gas. Uh, maybe you want to become a certified welding inspector down the road or a teacher. We've even had some people who have gotten into sales for, you know, a welding distributor. So there's just there's so many different pathways to, to uh, you know, find your footing in this industry. So do the research on the jobs. Do the research on the schools. There's some great welding schools out there. Well, there's some great technical colleges out there. Georgia Northwestern in Rome with Matt Hayden. He's one of the best welding instructors in, in this country. There's also some duds. There's some really bad welding schools out there. Sure. Yeah. It's not unlike colleges. Yeah. So um, know, know what you're, you know, find out. Look at past students to see what kind of, you know, employer relationships they have. If a school is not willing to share with you, 
some of their successes, they may not have any. That's true. That's true. I would want to see what the lab looks like. Is it safe? Are, is the equipment modern? You know, you're going to go out in the field. You're going to work in the elements. You're going to work with different welding machines, different brands. Does the, does the welding school look anything like what it would be like in the field? If uh, the welding school is all, you know, virtual welding, you know, I like the PlayStation 2, but that's that's not going to be what it's like in the field. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. And then, you know, I think that more than anything, you know, you need to ask yourself, is is this is this really what I want to do? Because uh, you're talking about very hot summers here in the South, cold winters. You know, today's a cold day. Oh, yeah. You know, you're working outside. You may have to work a lot of overtime. Uh, you may have to travel. So, you know, this is a great opportunity, I think, for young people for folks that maybe don't have the family commitments. Sure. And that's why I say, you know, yes, we can absolutely train career changers and we do, but our, our base demo is a, is a younger demo. No, that makes sense. Ryan, thank you so much for being on a skill stadium podcast. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you, Keith. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to skill stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.